The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Who sadly, once again, doesn't have a bit this week. Dude! Mm. Okay, that's it. One more time, and you are fired. You are. I'm totally <laughs> replacing you with Pauly Shore. Okay. I think Jack will be upset by that. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll offer the job to Jack. We'll see. All right, so, and tonight... We are going to be talking about comic books, a topic we've done a couple recent podcasts on, but tonight we're actually going to have some guests on, so it's not just us talking mindlessly about what stuff we don't know. Um, Tonight, we're talking about the American comic book industry, and to bring in an expert and returning guest, we've brought back Tim Finn, owner of uh, Hub Comics from Somerville, Massachusetts. Welcome back to the show, Tim. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Rob. And with Tim uh, is his manager of Hub Comics, Jesse Farrell. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about Hub Comics. How long has it been running? Did, were you the original founder? What's the story here? The store opened in early 2008, and uh, the founding owner uh, passed away unexpectedly uh, in the spring of 2011. And Jesse reached out to me because he knew that I had been uh, spending a lot of money here and he said uh, hey the the family the owner's family is going to liquidate uh, if we don't find a buyer do you want to buy the store and uh, I was quite busy with teaching and with writing and drawing uh, and I certainly didn't need a fourth job so I said probably um, so over the summer of 2011 um I and we rehabbed the store, although we never closed. We did all the paint and the moving of stuff um, mm-hmm. while the store was open. And uh, we had a, a big relaunch party in January of 2012, um, although we had been, you know, open under my um, uh, ownership since middle of 11. And, mm-hmm. and, and since then, uh, we have been uh, selling lots of books and making friends and uh, recommending a lot of books and interfacing with the community. Do you want to add something to that, Jesse? Um, We've been a part of uh, Union Square here in Somerville for 10 years, Mm -hmm. and it's been pretty great to... uh, There there are literally kids that I've seen grow up here. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are people who have met here and have now gotten married, and, and people are starting to have kids who met here. Um, it's just kind of, you know, I walk down the street and, and kind of know a lot of people in, in Union Square and it's just great to be part of this community and, uh, bring them comic books. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to be the neighborhood comic shop. Well, yeah, I bet it is. Now, uh, Jesse, how long have you been involved with the store then? I've been here since we opened in 2000, January of 2008. Uh, so just over Mm -hmm. 10 years now. Jesse actually was with the store since November of 2000. (laughs) seven a, a prehistory before the store was open like 
you know, moving shelves and painting the first time. Right. So I inherited Jesse when I <laughs> when I when I bought the store, which was great right. because he knew uh, our POS system, our point of sale system. He mm-hmm. knew the customers. He knew the neighborhood. Um, and I was fortunate that um, our takes on comics and selling comics align. So right. we didn't have an adjustment period where one of us said, no, 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 this kind of book doesn't sell. And the other said, oh, okay, we'll stop trying to sell that or order that. Um, we we already mm-hmm. had very similar tastes. And, right. you know, we both like Star Trek and we both like mm-hmm. 80s cartoons. And uh, so comic books is, is just in that continuum. Right, right. Hmm. Now, quick question. Could you tell us a little bit about Somerville, Massachusetts? Just for reference, what's the you know town like? What's What are the demographics like? We'd like to know a little bit more about your customer base. Somerville. Uh, Somerville is four square miles, population uh, 80,000. Mm-hmm. In the 50s, there was a Ford plant um, nearby in Somerville. Uh, that that area is now an outdoor mall with, you know, multiplex and and like a Nike store and condos and apartments. Um, mm-hmm. Somerville has been traditionally. When I was growing up, Somerville was not a great place to live. It had, at least it had that reputation, um, and it's it's really uh, developed and come into its own. Uh, there's a little bit of a growing pain that's happening right now, where there are a lot of old Somerville residents. Uh, and a lot of uh, younger, lower-income people, even who are sort of being—I uh, don't want to say gentrified because it's not—we're not quite there yet. But it's—it's it's definitely like there's this uh, divide between people who've lived here a long time and people who are moving in. It's becoming uh, a mm-hmm. very attractive neighborhood. In the okay. in the uh, Somerville got a subway stop in oh. the early '90s, and. So we're on the red line in the the MBTA, the the Greater Boston subway system. And Mm -hmm. so you can take a subway train out of Boston and through Harvard Square and Cambridge. And two stops later is uh, a very hip section of uh, Somerville that's two Mm -hmm. miles away on the other side of the the city. And um, when that subway stop came, that whole area, you know, dive bars went away and... Um, now it's, uh, you know, uh, coffee bars and um, great restaurants. Vape um, shops. Uh, yeah, there's there's a vape mm. shop in that mm. in that in that section of Somerville. Uh, and a poke, right. poke restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Po- a poke works. <laughs> yep. And so we are kind of going to become that again mm-hmm. in two or five or ten years when we get right here next to the store a subway station. Ah. Uh, when yeah. the... MBTA and the city and the state find two billion dollars, <laughs> um, but it, it is going to happen and it's going to be wonderful because there'll be a second way to get into Boston. Uh, mm. But it's going to ah, continue ah. this this trend, and uh, I should add um, part of the great thing about a lot of this development and uh, uh, Somerville has a lot of arts. By the way, it has a local um, arts council that works with the city government and also a lot of artists and puts on uh, festivals and aligns oh, wow. with businesses. Um, part of the, the challenge for the city has been um, uh, a, a tax challenge where the, the majority of 
the residents during the day leave Somerville to go work somewhere else like Boston mm-hmm. or, you know, the suburbs in their cars. And so Somerville has a lot more residents than it does business. And so um, there's less real estate tax than the city would like. Uh, and there's a lot of taxes that are being generated at like restaurants when people go get lunch at work mm-hmm. outside of the city. And so the the mayor's office has been trying to, in doing a lot of this development, increase the tax base um, to get that that ratio uh, more financially beneficial for the city. Because, you know, more taxes means more recycling and cops right. and parks. And we have those things and we want more. I can understand that. Now, how would you yeah. describe your average customer then? Like, who is the average customer for your shop? I would say mostly uh, young professionals in their 20s and early 30s. Uh, we also get a lot of families, um, a lot of families with kids. Um, that's that's mostly it. I think I think uh, the, the, that's I think our biggest demographic. But we kind of we have a really diverse clientele. Um, yeah, we're right next to. I shouldn't say we're right next to. Um, a couple miles away is Tufts University, and we don't get a lot of college students because. Uh, Amazingly, Somerville, in its four square miles, has another comic book store, which is closer huh. Huh. to Tufts University. Um, but with all of the universities in Cambridge and Boston and Charlestown and all the cities around Boston, um, you just sort of, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're always bumping into a college student or a grad student or someone who teaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do have some students. Um, uh, we don't have... Uh, we tend not to have a lot of sort of back issue collectors because we're not really a back issue store and we don't have people who are coming in and looking for a really valuable silver age or golden age comic like oh, i need the third appearance of superman you know in in mint condition uh we don't we don't sell that the store looks like a bookstore because we have all these nice uh wooden bookcases and most of the store is graphic novels with some single issue comics. Um, but we, we look like a bookstore and not so much like a comic book store, which was by design. And okay. I, if nice. I can add to that, uh, I think we're a, a, a pretty friendly and approachable store to people who are not traditional comic book readers. And that mm-hmm. has been a growing market. People who didn't grow up with comics, don't read superhero comics uh, are not the people uh, that you, you immediately think of when you think of a comic book reader. Uh, and so we have a lot of more people who, who come in uh, to try their first comic here. Yeah, one of the nice things about having so many comic book stores in the area, and I don't just mean the friendly competition two miles away, there are, there are another four comic book stores within f- a four-mile radius. Um, wow. And we, we will often send customers to those other stores if they come in on a Monday afternoon and are looking for a specific book that we don't have. Because if they need that book today, someone else might have it in town. Uh, and if it's in print, we can get it in you know a week or two if, if that nice customer can wait. But um, these stores all have uh, different uh, sort of feelings and flavors. And, um, and I like that variety 
when I was going to comic book stores in the 90s as a teenager, many of them were that stereotype of comic book store. You know, it smells like paper. There's a there's some grumbly dude behind the register. There may be yeah. like a kind of mopey younger <clears throat> dude who also works there. Um, there aren't uh, women customers. You know, if you see a woman in the store, it may be someone's mom or girlfriend who's been dragged along and doesn't feel particularly welcome. And uh, those stores tended to be lots and lots of issues and not so many books, so many graphic novels. <clears throat> Part of that is because the publishers hadn't gotten into the graphic novel <clears throat> market so much. So there just weren't a lot of graphic novels in print. But now, you know, every story that's serialized in monthly issues three months later gets collected in a in a book with a with a spine. And that's that's the stuff that we lean more towards. Hmm. Okay. So I'm 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 getting the idea then. Because uh, I used to work in a comic shop in the 90s, God help me. Um, he was the grumbly dude. <laughs> yes, I was. And I, so, so I'm getting the impression what you're saying then is the people who come in are, um, they're actually readers and not collectors or speculators then? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, that's, that's nice to hear. Because like I say, back in the day, uh, uh, you mentioned it took the the mainstream companies especially a long time to get into the graphic novels and i think it was because they were worried at the time of making more instant collectors items which would be typically the the single issues and it was because they weren't appealing to anybody who was reading them they wanted people who would buy 10 and put nine away there has been uh, a startling and wonderful slow movements on the part of publishers that already made comics Publishers that didn't make comics but got into it, um, uh, you know, all the, the cottage industry of news and review websites and blogs, um, culture has really caught up with this where um, comics were for a more narrow band of the population in the 70s and 80s. And now in America, comics are for so many more people. And the big area of growth is the young adult market, um, kids in grade school and then middle school and so much of that is scholastic which is you know the largest educational publisher in america and the publisher of harry potter but 11 or 12 years ago they got into publishing graphic novels and because of their book clubs at school at in schools they have a direct line to all these new readers that i'm going to criticize marvel and dc lightly here uh, Marvel and DC were not doing the best job of courting in the last 15 years, although DC's got a new um, initiative that we're very excited about, and uh, Marvel's always kind of playing some kind of catch-up. I see. What's DC's new initiative that they're doing? Two imprints. One is called DC Inc., and one is uh, that's I-N-K, and one is called DC Zoom, <clears throat> and uh, I forget the precise years one's for uh one's for young readers and one's for middle grade i think yeah and middle grade i think is defined 11 to 13 in america so let's say it's roughly uh 7 to 10 uh that's an age not not grades and then 11 to 13 and uh earlier this year dc had a big unveiling of the first wave of these graphic novels they're not single issues that are going to be collected 
into books. They're just original graphic novels. And the trim size is smaller, like, you know, like Bone, like Amulet, like Smile, uh, like Sisters. Mm -hmm. And DC's big unveiling of these was at the, uh, the American Library Association conference. It was not at... Uh -huh. It was not at a comic book convention and librarians have figured this out in the last two, five, 10 years because they are on the front lines of getting kids to read because they see kids every day, every week and the books are free. Whereas, you know, we see kids when it's a treat or when they're like, you know, they've put their name to get into the restaurant down the street and they've got a half hour to kill like kids. Let's go in the comic book store and maybe we'll buy something. Huh? Um, Sort of tying into that, do you find that when you get like the uh, the younger people in the store, is it a multi generational thing, or do the parents the parents aren't not or were not comic readers? The kids are doing it of their own volition. Ah, uh, that's a great question. I think it varies. We definitely have some parents who are bringing their kids in and then get themselves a big stack of graphic novels, also. But uh, I think there are also a lot of parents who come in expressly for their kids uh which is kind of new where they the, the parents missed comics entirely and uh are just getting books for their kids have, have we seen any jesse have we seen any instances where the parent is not into comics and slowly because the kid is getting them the parent kind of <laughs> gets into them do you see that Jesse's, th Jesse's here more often than I am. I think so, yeah. Although I, I, I wouldn't say definitively, but that's not something I see a lot. But yes, I think that is something that's happened, yeah. Now, question then. I've heard anecdotal stories of, uh, you know, parents coming into comic book stores and after, you know, watching the Marvel movies and they want to show their kids like, oh, this is, you know, Captain America that I grew up with and everything like that. But they're finding that the current comic books are not, you know, like the movies anymore. They're not like the traditional characters anymore. Do you have those kind of situations come up where you have to explain to them, well, no, this is the new Captain America or things like that? Or how do you handle this? The thing that happens most often is parents are looking for books for their kids having seen the movies and the comics are not necessarily age appropriate. Um mm -hmm. For example, the other day there was a woman who came in who had a kid who was, I would say, five or six, and he was really excited about Black Panther. And Marvel put out one digest-sized Black Panther comic, which is now out of print. So I think it just came back into print. Okay. So I, think it was at, I think it was out of print for two months. I think we couldn't get it for a little while. He'll be thrilled. So what I've been doing for this, <laughs> this mom is flipping through issues of uh ta-nehisi coates and brian stelfree's black panther run which is very good but very much for adults and i don't mean necessarily mm -hmm. even that it's it's uh, too racy it's just that it's it's for adults in the sense that it's very talky there is not a lot of of action it's it's good it's thoughtful it's smart but it's not a book that a kid wants and i feel like that's leaving money on the table not having something uh that a kid could who wants to read a black panther comic could read this is this has gotten better in even the last two months. Marvel has rolled out two uh, miniseries in the last, I guess, three months. Uh, one is uh, Marvel Superhero Adventures, where they're drawn with big heads and they're kind of cartoony. Um, this, if you remember, Rescue Heroes, all those action figure lines yeah. from uh, five ten years ago, it, it looks a little like that. Um, 
so they're in a couple issues of that, and the new one thankfully has Venom and Spider-Man on the cover. So all these kids who see the trailer for this PG-13 Venom movie that is not appropriate. I mean, I don't mean 10-year-old kids. I mean 5-year-old kids, mm-hmm. right? It's not appropriate. Mm, yeah. You know, as of three weeks ago, we can sell them this one Venom comic. Um, and uh, there's a there's an animated film that's going to run on, I think, Disney or Disney XD around this week called Marvel Rising, which is um, aimed at, you know, six to ten year olds. And it's several uh, new Marvel characters from the last couple of years. And many of them, most of them actually on this sort of impromptu team are female. And so this is a sort of a subtle way of directing that at, again, an audience that, you know, most of the Marvel characters um, are male and we're, you know, we're still waiting for our first female lead Marvel movie. Um, So there have been some tie-in issues this summer with Marvel Rising and they, they look really sharp. Um, right. what we in, it, going back to your actual question, if the comics don't look like the movies, uh, we, we have two responses. One is mm-hmm. because we are so much more of a graphic novel store, we likely have in stock the book from two or 15 or 30 years ago that the movie is referencing. Right. And so if right now, you know, a version of a Marvel character is a different character or is dead or a robot or a zombie um, or their sidekick is actually in the costume being called by the hero's name. Uh, If someone picks up that new issue and it doesn't make sense um, for several reasons, we're happy to divert them to a book, a collection of issues from 10 years ago. One, that whole story might be more satisfying than just 20 pages of the current story. Two, we can sell them something that's more expensive uh, for us, I mean, uh, and three, by walking them over to where the graphic novels are and pointing out a couple key books or, oh, well, if you like this, you might try this. It's just easier to do that standing in front of our Marvel section or our DC section, which is pretty robust. If you're looking at our new comics section, uh, you know, we, we don't have the space to carry every new issue of every series because there are hundreds and thousands of them. So uh, so we're happy to, you know, if someone wants to know about, uh, you know, Black Widow, you know, there's a really good Black Widow miniseries. Actually, there are two really good Black Widow miniseries that are packaged together in a book called Itsy Bitsy Spider from 2003, roughly. Uh, and it's good spy action adventure. And it's, you know, PG-13. Um, and they'll get two complete stories out of that if they really like this one character from the movies and want to know. You know what else? Because at the moment, this this month, uh, there's there's not a Black Widow series running. That's a character where Mar- right now Marvel's doing sort of a mini series or a special, like every six months or or a year. But maybe she doesn't have enough sales clout to sustain an ongoing monthly. The comics are uh, the media adaptations of comics are always going to be different. Uh, to use another mm-hmm. example. Uh, when The Walking Dead was really at its height on TV, I would have people come in and say, can you show me which book starts after the episode I just watched? And I'd have to tell people, well, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. It's not right. a one-to-one adaptation. Uh, some of the characters are the same. Some of them are different. Uh, comic book storylines are always a moving target. They never stop. 
the train never stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there kind of is no golden era where your character was was exactly preserved in amber. That that kind of doesn't happen. So you, you're just trying trying to find uh, kind of best averages, I guess. Of of well, here's this Captain America story was great. This is this other run. There there are some examples, and those are freestanding adaptations. So V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. Watchmen, you know, Scott Pilgrim is six books, not one, but it's only six books. And, you know, that movie really is five and a half of those books. So in a few cases, we can point someone to the thing that is most like the thing they're remembering. Um, Very occasionally there might be a challenge. I don't know if we've ever had anyone come in and ask about uh, Daniel Clow's Art School Confidential. Never. (laughs) Okay. So I don't I don't love that movie. Um, I think it was it was a good idea, but I don't love the movie. It's based on a three-page comic, right. and you can't buy those three pages by themselves. They're you know collected in a book. Um, but if someone is interested in that, you know, then we just need to have a larger discussion, me and the customer, about Daniel Klaus, which I'm happy to do, standing in front of the ten Daniel Klaus books that we have in our Daniel Klaus section. We have had people come in to ask about Ghost World, which is collected in one book yes so yes we we occasionally but regularly sell the soft cover of ghost world right actually going back to what you were just saying okay so you were saying that marvel's got of course the they're doing their push towards uh female readership and such have you seen an actual increase in female readers over the last like 10 years or so has it actually made a difference absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah i I don't know how typical our store is, but I think uh, our clientele is is fifty uh, fifty men and women, um, and, and a lot a lot of the Marvel female led books are are absolutely bringing in women readers. Uh, Captain Marvel, uh, absolutely unbe- unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Ms. Marvel, uh, to a lesser extent, um, She Hulk and and Hellcat, uh, but. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, and and right now, Runaways, which is um, you know, I would say a mostly mostly female team, it has had kind of a, a bump up recently. Yeah, we a question that a sort of more general question that I think you might be asking without asking is when a movie or a TV show of one of these properties hits, do we see a sales spike for that book? Are more people asking about it? And the answer is. A little when the first Thor movie was released and when the second Thor movie was released I think each time I made a little display of Thor books and I think between those two movies and you know three or four weeks total between the two movies I think we sold one extra Thor book and you know surprisingly um, during the this currently still continuing run by a writer named Jason Aaron um, his his Thor book has gone through several changes. The title has changed, and the numbering has restarted, and the main character has changed. But for a year and a half in there, Thor was the Thor that we know, the the male uh, big guy with blonde hair. He was not Thor. Someone else was Thor, and she uh, was a woman. And sales went up, and we we have a much harder time selling a Thor book. You know from the Walter Simonson run from the 1980s or the Dan Jurgens and John Romita Jr. run from 
what was that? Mid nineties. Mid nineties. We sell more of what we, I think, lovingly call Lady Thor. That's not the actual title. Uh, we sell more of that than all the other Thors, um, even though sort of it's all it's all one story going back to 1963, and it's all one story by this one writer in the last three or four uh, years. Um, but I, I do think some of this goes back to uh, our store is welcoming. I don't I don't even want to say to women because uh, I think that's putting too fine a point on it. Uh, I mean, mm. we're a store when we welcome readers and we welcome, right. you know, when someone says, I've got a dumb question, I say, great, I love dumb questions because they've got easy answers. But usually that means that someone wants <laughs> to spend a few minutes and ask about um, books and all of our, uh, all of our, and all of our employees, uh, Jesse, uh, Dave, Juliet, um, and uh, Jack, who was here for seven years and just moved on to a wonderful new job. Um, all of the employees here are good at recommending books and interfacing with the customer, uh, superhero stuff or not. You know, someone came in last week and asked about comic books featuring cats. I don't mean the Broadway musical. I mean the species. And uh, Jesse and I sort of scratched our head each for a moment, and then we each sort of jumped, leapt into action. So the other, well, there's this manga uh, called Junji uh, Ito's Cat Diary. Right. So Junji oh, yes. Ito is the writer artist, and he's made these comics about his cats. And then there's a different manga. She's Sweet Home. Which is really cute and looks like it's for kids, but it's for everyone. I was unhelpful, and I volunteered Garfield because we have <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, seven Garfield collections in, a, in the humor section, which is half genuine and half sort of smugly ironic because it's Garfield. <laughs> Um, and then, Kids love Garfield. Uh, and then we came up with one more, right? Well, you just had that idea for the Cats musical adaptation, comic book adaptation, which I, I think is, I think you got something there. <laughs> which publisher is going to license this? Um, and, IDW. Uh, and I think there was one more that we were sort of hovering around. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's that's an unusual uh, request. Usually someone is actually, asking. You, actually, can, I, can I stop you there? I can explain it, actually, <laughs> where it came from. My niece is uh devourer that's the correct word of a series of books called uh, they're called the guardians books which are basically all about these tribes of cats that live in a forest and have like fantasy adventures and such and they're not anthropomorphic they're regular cats as far as i can tell anyway is that anyway. warriors there's that too there's actually hmm. there's guardians there's warriors there's a whole bunch of them that you know, I'm going to I'm going to step in here and I'm going to admit something that's embarrassing. I think a publisher may have done comics adaptations of a few of these and we don't have them. And uh, a decision that I made early on with the store, um, we're a pretty big space uh, compared to many stores. We're just over a thousand square feet. Um, there are stores that are further out from a city center and you know their rent is low, and they just have space for tables of back issues or tables for you know Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop gaming. Um, and there are some really wonderful uh, hole-in-the-wall stores, you know, in cities or strip malls. And I I love all of these. When I travel, I go to comic book stores. But um, a decision that I made early on, and uh, and Jesse was on board, was we're going to curate. We don't have the space to have everything. And if we max out and have sort of one copy of everything we can have space for, there's a little bit of, of visual clutter. The store can feel mm -hmm. overwhelming. And a couple customers have very nicely 
describe this to us. And just imagine if you're looking at a bookshelf in a bookstore and you reduce the number of copies, uh, you take half the books off the shelf and you double the number of copies of all the books that are still there. You've instantly simplified the view, right? There are fewer mm, different true. things and uh, and it can be more inviting. Now, we're, we're, we're still totally happy to have a conversation and make recommendations. Someone says, I like this TV show. What comic should I read? Uh, my favorite game is when someone really vaguely remembers something about a comic and if you you know you tell it it was is there a dominant color on the cover do you remember a name is there a general theme and i was at our friendly competition last week and a customer uh because i was looking for a couple things that maybe they had that that we need um, that are out of print and maybe they'd cut me a deal and they did and uh, the owner came up to me and he said he said tim do you know, I'm going to jump to the end because I actually can't remember. So the owner of the friendly competition said, Tim, do you know a, a book? Uh, there's been a long, there was a long delay. It's about a video game. And I, and my brain started flipping through our sort of recent comics bin. And I saw the white border and the block font on the top. And I saw two words or compound uh, noun. And the second one was player. And I, and I said, oh, is this the last couple years? There was an issue, and then a couple years went by, and there's a second issue, and the third issue's not coming out for a while. And the guy, the customer, his face just drooped. And I said, non-player. And the guy said, that's it. I said, yeah, sorry. I think, I think the writer-artist has a day job, and I think it's going to be a couple years before he does the third issue. Thinking back to when Jesse, my manager, said this to me two years ago, disappointed because he really wants to read what happens next. So, But, you know, sometimes someone comes in and says um, – I like Law and Order, or I like The Wire, or I like um, uh, Breaking Bad. And there, there's never precisely a comic like that, but there's often something close enough that we can put out a couple. You know, someone who likes that will show them Gotham Central. Gotham Central, which is the which is the beat comic about the three shifts that police officers are working in Gotham City, and Batman is barely in this book. Um, and all the scenes on the TV show Gotham that deal with the cops are sort of inspired from this comic, even if there's no direct adaptation. Um, and then there's a series called Criminal. Um, and then I can pull out other works by the writer and artist who did Criminal because they've collaborated on a bunch of different things. So, you know, if someone's not in a hurry, if they've got five minutes to get some recommendations, um, I, we're kind of like a, a sommelier. Some, That's very did, nice. I, did yeah. I say that right? Yes. Because comics really are a fine wine. They they can appreciate <clears throat> they can appreciate with with age. Uh, you 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 might want to savor them. You might want to uh, display them or encase them carefully. They can spoil. What comic would you recommend <laughs> go with a fine brie? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Garfield. 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 Yeah, totally. Yeah. Garfield. Garfield. Because he's just gonna, you know, that drawing where, you know, that drawing where he's just devouring lasagna and his arms are drawn several times and his mouth is open and his head is cocked back. I just imagine him doing that with the fine brie. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So, one other question. So, what ratio would you say you have of like American comics and foreign comics? Not just Japanese, of course. There's also European as well and others. That's a good question. I would say uh, we're predominantly uh, American comics. 
Uh, there's a growing market of, of translated European comics that are coming over. Uh, they're just now collecting uh, some of Mobius's work uh, in nice hardcovers that have been out of print for many years. Uh, mm-hmm. We do have a, a sizable manga section. Uh, that's probably the biggest concentration of, of foreign language, uh, originally in a foreign language books. Um, if you want numbers, very roughly, it's probably 70% is uh, single issues and graphic novels of uh, American comics. And then mm-hmm. uh, 5% is, you know, art books, like... Um, you know, understanding comics or the art of Avatar, The Last Airbender. And then uh, 10 or 15% is manga. I'm just sort of looking at our shelves. And then 5%, um, not even in its own section, but scattered in a couple of our genre sections because some are fantasy and some are sci-fi, would be stuff from Europe. Um, It's only been the last two or four years that... um, maybe three publishers, I guess, Titan, Dark Horse, and IDW. Uh, and then I guess Lionforge um, has sort of come out of nowhere to to translate or print stuff from Europe. Um, uh, it's only in the last few years that a few publishers have, have stepped up to really do this. Um, and in the 80s, the only foreign comics were, uh, in the early 80s, excuse me, in the mid-80s, uh, is it Barefoot Gen or Barefoot Gan? Oh, yeah, Barefoot Gen, yeah. So, um, you know, it's like volunteers that mm-hmm. were, it was almost bootleg. Uh, Project Project Gen was publishing. Gen? Yeah. I don't know if it's Gen or Gen. How embarrassing. Sure. Um, the, a comic from Japan. Um, uh, but, you know, that, that has since been repackaged and like properly published and, and translated. Uh, and then Marvel picked up Akira. But mm-hmm. part of Marvel picking up Akira was that Akira sort of out of all the Japanese comics, sort of most looked and felt like American comics. Yes, I, I mean, it's there's yeah. stuff in there that's really Japanese culturally, but um, it's not a romance comic. It's not a comic about teenagers playing tennis and one one of them falling in love, <laughs> right? Like, that's not going to sell in the 80s in America. There maybe are, maybe in the 50s. Maybe in the 50s. There, were, there aren't... Akira doesn't have a lot of uh, stylistic ticks that are unique to Japan. Um, mm, right, it's, it was a pretty easy visually a pretty easy translation to me. Yeah. yeah. And then in the late eighties, Marvel through its Epic imprint was doing, um, Mobius, uh, a bunch of Mobius work. Um, and then, you know, lost the license. And for many years you could get almost nothing from Mobius in America. Uh, and that, mm-hmm. that changed just a year or two ago. In the periphery of comics publishing throughout the, 70s 80s and 90s you always had uh heavy metal magazine which was mostly european content uh translated uh and uh tintin and asterix which were mm, kids kids books and and i think a lot of people weren't even aware of i i think most people probably had some idea that that these aren't american yeah they're also but but they were so ubiquitous like all classrooms had you know yeah it's oh, yeah. it's it's interesting you say uh, it's interesting you say all classrooms because a lot of comic book stores don't have Tintin or Asterix. And part of that is um, the publishers are, for lack of a better word, regular book publishers. It's not comics publishers um, that are publishing those in America. You can, if you're a comic book store, you can order them from Diamond, from the big sort of 
uh, it's not legally a monopoly, but it sure sure feels like a monopoly um, from the big monopolistic distributor that services all the comic book stores in America and around the world. Um, you can get Asterix and Tintin from them, but uh, they don't grab a lot of attention in the catalog. If they go out of stock, they're not restocked very quickly. And, you know, if you're if you're thinking about Batman and Watchmen and uh, Mouse and, you know, Persepolis, you know, that stuff may just be on the periphery. You know, it's like you could, I don't know, you could have a conversation with someone for an hour about The Simpsons and forget to talk about Futurama, even though that's that's so related. Um, you know, it's it, there are all these Venn diagrams and there are lots of things to, and I say this innocently, sort of to forget about or it's like, oh, oh we're going to get around to that. Um, part of why we can carry such a good variety is that we order our comics from uh, four different distributors and then uh, we have an independent sales agent who lives in New York who he contacts comic book stores and he gets stuff from individuals who self-publish and then from um, some of these quote regular book publishers that want to get more into the comic book store market. Um, so every Monday we are doing an, a reorder. We are placing a reorder with diamond for, you know, regular stuff. Like, you know, we sold a Superman book last week, so we're going to reorder it and it'll come back in two weeks. Um, and at the end of the month, we do our sort of big order for everything coming out in two months from diamond. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's five orders a month that we just cycle. But every Monday or Tuesday, I do an order from uh, Baker and Taylor and they're a quote, regular book distributor. So, you know, Stephen King novels and uh, the Bible and cookbooks, we could order those. Uh, I, they, they won't sell, but we can get sort of any book that's in print. But I'm interested in that distributor because they carry uh, Andrews and McMeal, and that's Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, okay. And they always have at least one copy in stock of the first three Calvin and Hobbes books, whereas Diamond which is the exclusive distributor for the major publishers, Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, uh, Boom, two or three others. Um, Diamond's primary goal is not to carry Calvin and Hobbes. Diamond's primary goal is to carry Spider-Man. And I, I don't say that critically. That's just how the business is. You know, it's like you go to a gas station and you want gas, but they may not carry your brand of cigarettes, right? Or, or gum, whatever. Right. Uh, and it's pretty unusual for comic shops to have that many distributors that they use. Most comic shops in North America, I would say, only go through Diamond. Or if, or if they have a, a secondary source, uh, I don't think they're doing orders as often as we are. Or if it's, sec mm -hmm. if it's a secondary source, it's for toys or for games. Because right. yeah. there are distributors for those uh items as well and, and we don't carry those we should mention yeah we, we are we are a comic book store we don't carry toys and games which is again in this market a little bit unusual yeah and and right. we yeah. both we both love toys and jesse oh, yeah. and i both love toys and games <laughs> i'm i'm writing a book about toys um and sure. uh, and sometimes i talk to jesse about fireball island and one day <laughs> we're gonna sit down and play it and then with that kickstarter for the new one we'll sit down and play the new one and then Jesse will understand Fireball Island. I but, love Hungry Hungry Hippos as much as the next guy, but... But, I, I, but in this store, we want to do one or two things really well. And partly, 
uh, the four or five of us who are here, you know, I, I could sell Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but not very well. You know, I haven't played it in a long time, and I'm, and and that takes up space. So we we just wanted to focus. We have a few T-shirts. We sell bags mm. and boards and boxes, um, you know, supplies for comics. We have a few posters, um, but not a great way to display them. So they don't sell uh, as often as we'd like. But you know, if you like Neil Gaiman because you watched American Gods or you read. Uh, the graveyard book or you saw Coraline or you just love the Sandman we have um, I'm gonna use a library term we have four we have I think 45 linear inches of Neil Gaiman that's that's books spine out not uh, not face out wow. we have two two shelves we have ev- everything that Neil Gaiman has written that's in print not audiobooks not books on CD um, but his children's books uh, the book he co-wrote with Terry Pratchett, uh, the comics he's written, the novels he's written, um, everything in print that we can carry from Neil Gaiman we have because that's a devoted fan base and often mm-hmm. someone who's read Sandman wants to read more or... Or the other way around, way around, someone who's read American Gods. Oh, he wrote comics? Yes, he did. Yes, here's the, show here, you. Here's, the one, here's the one Batman... Uh, story that neil gaiman wrote or you know do you want every dc comic that neil gaiman wrote that's not sandman all in one book because we have that now the dc universe by neil gaiman soft cover um you you guys have kind of hit on something that i i'm wondering because i'm old like me and rob are both in our late 40s and i can remember uh back in the day when it came to comic books and comic book stores in the fa- minds of the fans and the minds of the public there was a very tight definition of what a comic book was. That was a superhero. And a very tight definition of who read them. That was the guys in the Big Bang Theory. And I'm wondering, do you find that there's still this narrow image of what comic books are? Or do you find that that's expanding? I think it's absolutely expanding. Um, one of the things I found very interesting, because uh, I grew up around here where we have a lot of comic shops and there are a lot of comic readers, uh, most of the readers that I knew that are, that are sort of of our age, uh, they may have started with superheroes and then their taste expanded. But what I'm finding is that a lot of people who are reading comics now who are in their 20s and early 30s, uh, they may have skipped superheroes entirely. They may have come to they may have never read superhero comics. They may have come in through manga. They may have just started reading comics because someone recommended Saga to them. Um it's definitely changing. Uh, I think it has changed. I think the, uh, the, the, the stereotype comic fan absolutely still exists, but in increasingly small numbers, I think the, uh, there, there was a great thing that, that uh, the guy who, who brings us our comics every week said he compared the current comics market to television. Or he said it used to be the television, uh, you had five channels and every show tens of millions of people watched even the lowest rated show now you have 500 channels and you may only have a few hundred thousand people or even a few thousand people watching a show but we have so many more shows and they're so much better than they used to be so it's a it's a it's a bigger pie but it might be might be a cut smaller in terms of that that sort of 
reader that we might remember from from the 80s and 90s, that fan, and sort of what a comic book was. Another aspect of the store and also our city is uh, local comics, self-published comics. Um, sometimes what, what we call mini comics and mini comics, that term is, is both imprecise and precise. If you imagine a piece of paper from your printer, it's eight and a half by 11 and you fold it in half and you turn it sideways. So that's the, that's the most common size of a mini comic. But mm-hmm. that, that term also means any homemade or, or small press homemade comic uh it might be photo-distributed self-distributed it might be i mean you might print it on your printer at home so it's not literally homemade you didn't make it Mm -hmm. you're not printing it with a brayer and ink yourself but uh you take it to a print shop you take it to a photocopy place like what used to be called kinko's and is now uh fedex office um you you go to staples and you go to their copy center you steal copies at your local university or library (laughs) Um, you staple it yourself, you make 30 or 300, you sell them, um, and we carry that because there are people, partly because we have a lot of art schools in Greater Boston, um, and a lot of people who read this stuff tend to be in that age anyway, um, and, uh, you know, Boston has a major comic book convention that's named for the city, Boston Comic Con. But Boston mm-hmm. also, and then smaller regional shows, you know, every three or four or five weeks around Boston. But Boston, I should say uh, Cambridge, right, which which borders Boston and which borders um, Somerville. So one and a half miles from the store, uh, there's an art school, uh, LA Plus D. This is the art school at Lesley University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And once a year they host mice which is the Massachusetts Independent Comics Expo. And Mice is, wow. run, Mice is run by the Boston Comics Roundtable, which is a, I think they're a nonprofit, uh, which is an organization of, uh, and a couple of the people who, who are the Boston Comics Roundtable shop at the store and are friends of the store. But they have weekly meetings. And uh, if you want to make comics and get advice, you can go to the meetings. They put on this show. And it is a comic book convention, but it's all for people who make their own comics. And it's a lot of students and a lot of people in their 20s. And uh, if you know of this sort of network of similar shows, there's SPX, that's Small Press Expo, that's in Maryland. There's Ape Alternative Press Expo, that's in... Is that in Portland? Portland, I want to say it's in Portland. Um, There's... uh, What's the one in... Staple, Staple in Austin, Texas. Yeah, there, yeah. there are there are ten or fifteen of these shows, and they're scattered throughout the year. And they don't make the news the way that San Diego does, because it's not two hundred thousand or New York. It's not two hundred thousand people, and there's not cosplay, and the movie studios are not there trotting out the new thing. Um, but there is so much passion and uh, great artistry. Um, so we have a local comics section, and we have some customers who are not interested in superhero comics and maybe they've seen the superhero movies or maybe not, but they come here for stuff in the local section. They come here for work published by Fantagraphics or drawn in quarterly or um, publishers that are, that are releasing work by cartoonists and auteurs. 
So mm-hmm. not the assembly line of Marvel and DC where one person writes it and one person draws it. And, you know, Peter Parker has been 29 <laughs> since, well, right. I mean, at the beginning he was 15. But <laughs> Peter Parker has aged from 15 to 29 over the course of 50 years. Uh, and then every few years they sort of reset things. Um, there are some people who that's not that's not their that's not their bag. And, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's from hell or Persepolis or fun home, um, we sell a lot of that stuff. And it's actually a lot easier to sell that stuff, you know, sort of by volume tonight in this conversation. We've talked a lot about Marvel and DC and superhero movies, but we sell a copy of Fun Home or Mouse or Persepolis. Uh, and by the way, one of those got turned into a movie and one of those did get turned into a Broadway musical, which was amazing. Um, we sell a copy of one of those three books at least once a week. And oftentimes we sell two of those three books within a week's time. And, you know, when someone is interested in Spider-Man, where do they start? Do they read the book that has the earliest stories, which are fun, but a little clunky and old fashioned? Do they read the story that the current movie is most like or the current cart- but, but is out of continuity and doesn't quote unquote count anymore? Yeah. It's like, well, do you have the story where he dies? It's in the future. Do you have the story where he's not there, but the black Puerto Rican kid is Spider-Man now um, and he's going to get a movie. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. someone comes in and... and what this really is, people want stories. Yeah. And, and you know, you use that term, readers instead of collectors. And uh, some customers are really into something like Sandman or Saga uh, or uh, Criminal, where it's five or 10 or 20 volumes, and then it's over. Spider-Man's mm-hmm. forever, and Batman's forever. Yeah. And, you know, if you want, like sort of an old fashioned 80s story that's a little dark, I can find that Batman story for you. And if you want the you know really dark story from last year, we've got that. And if you want some lighthearted Batman stuff from the 50s or that's like the show from the 60s, we've got those. Um, but again, where do you start and where do you end? And since you can't really end, it may not be satisfying. But, you know, someone comes in and they're, they want to read John Lewis's March right autobiographical it's very of the moment right now civil rights um it's you know written by a a living sitting representative in congress it's drawn really well so many kids are reading this book it's winning i should say books because it's a trilogy uh and the sequel is coming out very soon very excited uh it's called run and and rather than marching for rights it's about running for congress um but um even though, even though we have a lot of space devoted to you know Marvel and DC and sci-fi and fantasy, um, more of our customers are interested in our nonfiction section and our what we call alternative section. And probably the best word for that, for that is drama. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like those are, are the, the the that and books for kids are the growth areas uh there's we still have a lot of everything i mean i that's that's one of the things i pride us on is, is that we have something for every taste right. and uh i love genre stuff i love superhero comics uh i love sci-fi comics 
but it's it's also great that we we have something uh, for people who are, are not geeks like me. And we have comics. We have comics for five year olds, not not Black Panther comics necessarily. <laughs> uh, Found that out the hard way. There's a wonderful publisher out of New York called Toon Books. They just celebrated their 10th anniversary. They're not on a lot of people's radar because they they publish selectively, only a couple books a year. And there are these gorgeously designed uh, hardcovers, and which then go to softcover. Um, and there's a whole variety. They're they're little kid comics. And uh, they're written and drawn um, carefully. And the editor is uh, Francoise Mouly, who has been in comics since the 70s. And she's also the art director of The New Yorker. And I've listened to her speak at two different conventions. And I just mm-hmm. want to curl up in a transcript of her <laughs> remarks. Um, and, you know, Tune Books, uh, each of them is, it's really short. It's like 20 pages. Some of them are about people some are about you know cute anthropomorphic animals some of them are about uh monsters um but they are tiered for uh kindergartners through third graders and on the back of each book it says level one two or three on the inside back cover it explains what each of those means sort of how many words are in the book uh how long the sentences are sort of how um hefty the concepts are and so people come in sometimes a a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle comes in with three kids and it's a a 10 year old and an eight year old and a four or five or six year old. And clearly the 10 year old and the eight year old have a lot to look at and they'll find something. And Mm -hmm. a couple of times I've said, Oh, is your youngest also interested in comics? I mean, certainly there are picture books and board books Mm -hmm. for one year olds and two year olds and three year olds. Um, Not so much comics until this publisher but we have books that are, you know, clearly labeled, though, though not, in a, not, in, not in an aesthetically unpleasing way. You know, this is a wonderful book for a five-year-old. And so we gave that publisher its own section. And I think every day we oh, lead yeah. someone over because, you know, maybe their kid wanders over to where Spider-Man is in the Marvel section. And that stuff is all sort of PG or PG-13. And, you know, they can just look at the pictures um, there may be a lot of words that they're not going to follow, but something that they can actually fall into that, you know, a parent can read to them. That's, that's sort of developmentally age appropriate. Um, we love connecting readers with those mm. kinds of books. Because that's where comics readers are going to come from in the future. Yeah. Right. We're, we're not, we're not worried about, you know, 40 and 50 and 60 year olds, we, we will sell them books and they're great, but they've already been convinced that comics are great. Right. <laughs> oh man, you guys are going to make me cry. Cause you're taking me back to the days of my youth. Also, you guys should come to the store and there's nice <laughs> restaurants nearby. And then we could go to some of the other stores and, or you could go to some other stores. Uh, you're can... sending them to the competition. Well, no, what, what I mean is for, for, a, for a pleasant comparison, <laughs> Right. Well, my wife keeps bugging me to go down to Boston and head down that way. So maybe we'll drop by sometime, maybe next year, and we'll we'll have dinner together. That sounds sounds good. Yep. Um, (laughs) Question then. Okay, so it sounds like you guys have spent a lot of effort interacting with fans and uh, comic book fandom and trying your best to develop. Do you have any, like, comic club or anything like that at your actual store? There's a wonderful store in... 
San Francisco that has a monthly book club. Um, I have thought of doing something like that. Um, I have these other jobs, you know, I teach and I write and, um, and the store takes a lot of, uh, time. So that, that may be one of those things that, um, is on the, it's on the list of wonderful things that we would like to do someday. Yeah. I would say we, not officially, but, uh, on any given Wednesday, uh, you're going to, you're going to hear a lot of spirited discussion, um, from, from, people who are in the store uh, is what what you mean is you and and a few regular customers yeah yeah and, and anyone who just happens to wander in and and has an opinion that they want to weigh in on. and and i like to think that we're we're pretty open to you know if, if people feeling as though they can they can jump in on these discussions but uh but yeah so so nothing official but i feel like any comic shop with uh some floor space uh is is going to have some kind of comics discussion club some kind of impromptu <laughs> comics discussion club that develops yeah and and to right. and to probably disappoint some of your listeners uh, we we don't offer e-commerce we have a website at hubcomics.com and we're on facebook's you know slash hubcomics and instagram at hubcomics our instagram's great juliet's great juliet yeah. Take, taking photos and sometimes on tuesdays we post little one minute movies that are like ads but Juliet is the young, the youngest one of our staff, and uh, she, she's so she's cooler than all of us. So she knows <laughs> how to run the Instagram. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, we don't sell books uh, over a website uh, through the internet, uh, and we we don't have an eBay store. Um, a little of that is me being old fashioned because I like I'm doing finger quotes here. Just mm-hmm. being a bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also a little late to that party. Um, there's certainly big websites that do that and a lot of, you know, medium and small size stores that that do that. Um, that that also takes um, a, a lot of time to do well. And I, I don't want to do something if we can't do it really well. You know, one of the stores in the area has an eBay store and I, I see one of those employees at the post office pretty regularly with a stack of, of packages mm-hmm. mailing out an issue or a book and you know that's amazing that they can offer that and that's that's a great revenue stream um we are we are satisfied with you know customers coming in and browsing uh right now jesse and i are sitting on one of our two couches the store has couches and we uh right. to, to a reasonable degree uh welcome people to sit for a bit and look at a book you're welcome to browse please do not read all of watchmen that has happened before we had to talk to that guy <laughs> um so every day just come in read a chapter i'm like yeah maybe buy the book but. so there, there's that joke you know hey kid this ain't a library um and we've never we've never said that though if i did i would do it like a stereotype of some cranky 80s newsstand agent hey it, kid this ain't a library and in fact there's a library up the street that has a great comic selection yes and partly they have a great comic selection because we gave them 200 graphic novels <laughs> I should say they already had a very good selection. We made friends with the librarian, uh, and uh, and again, we want to cultivate readers. And you know, up the street next to the library is the high school, and if those kids are walking 500 feet to get a book out of the library, and someone says, "Well, you know, down the street there's the store, and we can you know read the next book, buy the next book," right? Um, Hopefully, buy. Hopefully, buy. <laughs> yeah. Now it's an ecosystem. Yeah, 
And you're definitely oh. cultivating that ecosystem and doing a great job of it from the sounds of it. Yeah. Um, actually, here's a question then, since we're on topic of fandom. So thanks mostly to the internet, fandom has become a little bit more radical in the last couple of years. Have you guys found that affecting your store at all or your business? No, no, it has. And I see it online. Um, and I, you know, I, I, for some reason we are mercifully spared, uh, from this, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's gotten really contentious. Um, uh, yeah, I, I tend to think a lot of the people who are, are most agitated and most upset about the state of comic books actually don't read comic books and haven't for many years. And I'm judging this by sort of what they say about comic books. I feel like, yeah, you don't actually read They're, they're, they're usually, it seems to me just kind of at a glance, um, that mostly they're responding to things being different from when they were a kid. And it's like, well, that's because it's been 15, 20 years since you've read a comic book and they have moved on. And that's, that is, that's the nature of serialized fiction. Um, yeah, that's. Uh. I I think so. I I agree. I think it's a big part of it. Oh, I was gonna say um, when you mentioned that because I can remember say back in the eighties there was a lot of contention between uh the independent fans and like the superhero mainstream fans. You get to the end of the nineties, the superhero guys are kind of getting squeezed out by the uh, Japanese stuff, and there's a lot of contention. Uh, do you find there's any kind of like fan group rivalry going on now? No, I think they mostly leave each other alone. Now, <laughs> I think uh, there's and there's so much crossover. I mean, there there are some people who are just dedicated to kind of one type of thing uh, or or another, but for the most part, um, there just sort of isn't a lot of cross pollination or a lot of awareness. If you you know if you are only reading autobio comics. Uh, you probably don't know what's what's going on in uh, the new issue of the Wicked and the Divine, and that's fine. Uh, also, your your question in terms of in the store, no, I don't. We don't see any friction. In terms of sort of online, um, we are. I mean, I, we're we're reading comic book news, and Jesse's on Twitter. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not. I have a Facebook page, but I'm not so much on social media. So um, some of what we hear or learn is secondhand. But I think going back to the analogy that Jesse used from the guy who, who delivers our comics every week, who brings us our UPS boxes of comics, um, you know, there are all the, to go back to the sort of cable TV example and 500 channels, um, you don't need to worry about what's happening with that other kind of comic because there are so many comics for you. Yeah, it's it's not like one thing is crowding out another thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, may, maybe in 1989 it felt like, you know, like manga was pushing superhero comics out of the way. But you go to a convention and it's all there. And if it's not there, like you go to a major sort of, you know, mainstream superhero and, and genre convention and if there isn't a lot of self-published auto bio comics then you go to the small self-published auto bio comics convention and that you know you know it's mm-hmm. like well i you know i like gluten-free well, I'm, I'm gonna go to this gluten-free bakery and feast on this cake and i don't have to worry about the uh, supermarket sheet cake uh a, for a couple of years we um this was before uh tim bought the shop we had 
a table at uh, AnimeCon, which is uh, an annual event in Boston. Anime, 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 Boston. Anime, anime Boston. Sorry, yeah. And uh, I found it interesting because I didn't know. I I know manga a little bit, but I don't know uh, a tremendous amount of anime. And it was an entirely different fan culture than I was used to. Uh, mm-hmm. It didn't bother me <laughs> that that oh you know ah oh, these kids what are they, how come they're not reading Superman you know it's it was fine it was it was a different thing I was glad to see that they were excited about something and uh, that, that if if there was a a flavor that I was not as familiar with uh, that's fine I'm I'm just glad that the the you know they had something that they enjoyed also um, and and I you know maybe I can learn something about it. I, I think of the title of that movie, Revenge of the Nerds, and I think of this this stereotype of a nerd, which for me is a 1980s thing, but for people a little older than me, you know, they're, they're probably 70s and 60s and 50s nerds. It's a, it's a hurtful word, Tim. Yeah. So, but, I mean, look at culture right now. The nerds won. Look at, look at movies and television, right? In 2000... Squares, just you know, regular people at my job had action figures on their desks because it was uh, like a Kiss figure from the band Kiss or um, Austin Powers or the Yellow Submarine Beatles, right? Let, I mean, that's that's a guy who publishes a comic making a toy company so he can make toys of his comics character and then making a lot of other toys. Like that's just culture now. So, yeah, D- Disney became the most powerful media giant that the world has ever known because they bought Star Wars and Marvel comics. I mean, really, that's if you look at it, it's like that's what ha- like that's what allowed that to happen. Uh, I mean, there were other steps along the way, but yeah. I mean, that was what what did it. Um, and that's you know that's not just a niche thing. That's that's media. That's everything that we're all soaking in it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, speaking of big companies and such, so here's a question. Is there anything that the big companies are really pushing right now, but which the fans just aren't responding to? That's not really selling? Uh, the Inhumans. <laughs> but that's kind of, well, that's kind of <laughs> ending now. No, it's true. There was, um, there was a, a... Because Marvel didn't have the movie rights to... The, Marvel and Disney did not have the movie rights to the X-Men... Uh, within the comics, they tried to sort of push uh, the Inhumans, which are uh, another group of characters with, with uh, special powers. They sort of tried to push them as kind of the replacement X-Men and replacement mutants. And it just didn't take. It just didn't happen. And and now they're kind of de-escalating from that. But there was for a few years, there was a lot of Inhuman stuff that nobody went for. Uh, we yeah, there have been all these uh, series and mini series for the last two years, and it seems to be wrapping up. But sort of the, is it the apex or the nadir? <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the well, the nadir is the low point. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. sort of a high point. Yeah. <laughs> um, when the Inhumans TV show started, oh. um, it got, the first episode uh, had a limited theatrical release. This was fun. Two weeks before the TV premiere, in. Mm-hmm. You know, giant screens. Quote: It's not really IMAX, but IMAX. And uh, and we we have store outings. All the Hub Comics employees and a plus one. We go to every Marvel movie on opening night because um, it's fun, and also so that whoever's working the Friday and the Saturday and the Sunday doesn't <laughs> get spoilers when customers come in and talk about 
the movie. So some of it's preventative, mm-hmm. but we're all very excited right. about these movies. Uh, and that was sort of technically one of them, but we also suspected it wasn't going to be great. And we did enjoy seeing that. It was it was a lot of artistic choices that were very uh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, in in terms of you know your your question of are there any things that the big companies are pushing that's not working? Um, yes, so many things all the time. But I yeah, I don't say right. that I don't say that in a bad way. I mean you know Marvel publishes I don't know sixty to ninety comics a month and i think 40 or 50 graphic novels a month maybe wow. maybe uh, let's say 30 it's probably a little high excuse me 30 and um and you know and fanographics which you know has published the complete peanuts and uh a bunch of popeye you know they've got and love and rockets um and my favorite thing is monsters which is which was sort of the it book of last year we sold a ton of my favorite thing as monsters and you know out of the let's say 75 comics that marvel publishes a month um you know five of them we sell a lot of and many of them we sell one or two or three or four of to just a few customers who specifically ask but fanographics publishes i think 15 10 to 15 you know, graphic novels, uh, they don't really do single issues, although they keep dipping their toe in that in that pond. But books a month and, you know, three of them will really hit. And maybe a couple of them are, are a good fit for us and we don't carry it or we just get one. And several sort of fall in the middle and, and we, we sort of don't worry about because a month later we get that new catalog and Marvel's got another 70 issues of everything and Fanographics has another 10 and... That's just yeah. two of the publishers. So yeah, they're, they're, mm-hmm. right. There are a lot of things that they, they try. They're constantly trying a lot of things, and many of them don't work. I often say it's like baby sea turtles. They just lay a lot of eggs, and then they it's up to them if they can make it to the ocean. And some of them never do. I I have been saying this for for five. I've been saying this for seven years as a retailer, and I've been thinking it for. 20 years as a reader and i learned this from other retailers from people who owned and managed and worked in comic book stores the publishers are publishing too much right do you like spider-man well here's four monthly spider-mans and then you say no no tim there's there's only two monthly spider-mans well but there's also a mini series and the moment that that's over there'll be another one and also he's showing up in this other book and then there's in six months there'll be a crossover and there'll be six Spider-Man specials published in two months to add additional story to the crossover. And you know, we if there was if there was really really only one monthly X-Men comic, not six. You know, Wolverine old, Wolverine young, Wolverine's clone, X-Men red, X-Men black, X-Men blue, X-Men gold. Uh, the Multiple Man miniseries. I'm just I'm just talking about this month until three months from now. Wow. Um, if there was one monthly x-men comic and it was really good we could sell not only a lot of that we could sell collectively more of that than all the others combined yes now maybe not every store could say that and i think marvel's calculus is that that is not true that it is worth it to to produce a lot or in my view overproduce but i think i think part of what they're doing is burning out a lot of 
of readers. You know, people people say, oh, I don't read comics anymore. I rent in a space or, oh, they're too expensive or I only read digital because I I don't have space in my apartment for all the books. Remember, we were talking about Spider-Man because Spider-Man, you know, Spider. everybody knows Spider-Man. Most people like Spider-Man. There have been how many uh, Spider-Man number one? How many times have they relaunched Spider-Man in the last five years, Tim? It's been uh, three plus Superior when, and, yeah. when Peter uh, sort of died and a villain became Spider-Man. And each one of these has had, for us anyway, diminishing sales returns because each time you each time you can't this is a, has been a strategy for a while uh with the big two publishers marvel and dc where they will they will launch a book for a while cancel it and relaunch it with a new number one and the problem with that is it creates a temporary sales bump but every time you cancel something people jump off when you, when right. you take and, and and when you take it away people don't know it's uh we used to sell a lot more we still sell a good number of ms marvel uh, mm-hmm. When they canceled it for the Secret Wars miniseries, where they canceled every one of their titles and relaunched it, uh, a lot of people didn't know it was coming back. A lot of we lost a lot of readers simply because they thought, well, that's the end of the day, because they weren't traditional readers. They didn't understand this cycle of and and, and for those first four or five or six months where Miss Marvel came back and it was now issue one issue two issue three of the of the second series which just continued her story she didn't die right i mean the universe ended in secret wars but but then it just came back (laughs) if you were only reading miss marvel it did not matter that the universe ended and then came back it's just what she did next um now we had a new a new issue one and a new issue two and a new issue three and someone would come in the store and they'd see issue three and they'd say oh great issue three i missed that when it came out oh sorry that's the new issue three that's actually different than the old issue three it's kind of this is really issue you know 23 or whatever the number would be if you combined uh the two and right um and that is confusing that's i mean, I mean, I mean imagine you know. imagine if you know you have 1960s star trek with william shatner and then you have the J.J. Abrams cinematic universe with Chris Pine. Imagine if Paramount did that every three years. Imagine if they just recast Captain Kirk and all the crew of the Enterprise and it was a movie or a TV show or web series. Have you seen Star Trek II? Well, which one? (laughs) Right. I mean, you you would get frustrated and confused and you might not like Star Trek anymore. And, you know, there was a a new Amazing Spider-Man number one because the previous series... uh, got to a huge climactic uh, event and the writer had been there for years and he left and uh, it was actually going to be issue 802 because, you know, the mm-hmm. series has been running for decades and Marvel's calculus is that an issue number one is going to sell better than an issue number 10 or an issue number 802. And so they ended the series and started a new series called Amazing Spider-Man. And it's got a giant issue number one on it. And we didn't order that many copies because two years ago, there was a new Amazing Spider-Man number one. And two years before that, there was a superior Spider-Man number one. And I think I'm forgetting one in there. And, you know, people didn't come in and say, do you have the new Amazing Spider-Man number one? They just sort of walked by it and went and bought Mouse or Persepolis (laughs) or asked about, uh, I don't know, the... You know the famous Spider-Man story from five years ago, which we have in a in a in a graphic novel collection. And this isn't a knock on the quality of any of these books. Just in the 
they're they're sort the, of they're, the pub the publishing plan of them. Yes. The writers and artists, mm -hmm. it's great stuff, uh, but but mm -hmm. it it's hard to juggle. Yeah. It must be hard for you guys too, because you don't really know what to carry, do you? Half the time, you're not sure what's going to win and what's not, and it's going to cost you a lot of money if you gamble wrong. Um, it is a guessing game, but uh, if if you're if you if you're at a store, uh, you you pay attention and you listen to customers and you you rely on your evergreens and you you make it work. Um, Jesse's gonna it's it's been uh, Jesse's gonna head out. Do you guys want to ask one? wrap-up question or or jump to a wrap-up thought and we'll we'll end this oh well actually uh i'll have one and then don and we'll have one if you don't mind uh very quickly so marvel and dc are both launching digital online comic services i've heard effectively kind of their netflix for comics models and such do you think that this is going to affect you and in the industry in the future that's hard to say uh i don't i don't think so both publishers have had digital comics subscription services for the last uh, five or seven years. And uh, the sales figures that we have heard recently and even four or five years ago were that uh, digital sales, you know, people reading comics on their tablets or computers was a drop in the bucket compared to buying issues, buying books. Right. Um, as these things get bundled, with sort of internet, cable, TV stations that also have TV shows, you know, as your computer and your TV all become the same thing. Uh, I don't know. That's a that's a kind of entertainment consumption that that is strange and mysterious to me. But I think that I think that people love books and screens are great. I mean, have, being able to get anything in my pocket, you know, I can tap a button and. A day later, someone brings me chocolate milk. <laughs> um, that's amazing. But when you read a book on your screen, every book is the same size. And True. you can't appreciate what the printing and the paper and the color look like because it's on your screen. And you can't close it. And it's not an object. It's not a gorgeous object in your hands that's on your shelf. It's the same screen that you read the news on and you... You did a Skype interview on and you Facebooked on. Um, I think books are special and people want books. And, and the thing I keep saying is that uh, unlike other industries that have been disrupted by digital delivery like uh, videos, books, you know, prose books and music, uh, books and music, um, you're getting pretty much the same thing. With a comic book, uh, the comic, the the medium is the message. The comic book as an object is a different thing than than mm -hmm. it, you see it on a screen. If you're seeing it on the screen, uh, it's just it's not the same. People, I think people like to hold it in their hand. They, they like the tangible object more than they do like a, a regular book. You can read it digitally. It's it's sort of the information is the same. But comics, it's like it's the paper. It's the physicality of turning a page. Um, you know, is it going to, are digital comics going to change things? Absolutely. Are they going to replace actual physical comics? I don't think so because they haven't yet. And I feel like they, they could have by now. And I, I think people still like to, they like to browse. They like to hold comics in their hands. Hmm. Okay. Don, any final thought before we go or question? Uh, well, I got two kind of quickity points here. 
number one is I can understand people being confused by the new numbering thing because recently DC went back to the old numbering. So imagine being the poor schmo who came in last month, bought Superman 52, and then comes in this month and they're already up to 1,007. Like, that, that would be a shock. And then it's interesting to hear how you talk about um, how you've got your store set up and the attitude you have because it reminds me back uh, like when I was a kid in the early 80s when you had the comic shop boom and you had the comic industry explode because of it because all of a sudden there was a way to get books that of people who didn't care for superheroes would read like that was the mainstream and it's nice to hear that somebody's still doing that that you're taking into account uh, bringing new readers in and not just bringing them into whatever's established, but letting them find their own thing and kind of rolling with wherever the industry goes. Like, I think I wish more places would do. I wish more industries would do that. Thanks. Thank we, you. We think of ourselves. We're, we're not just selling books where we're we're trying to convert people because because books <laughs> and it and, sounds like you're doing a good job of it, too. Books and stories are are important. People want stories. Yep. And I think that's an excellent mm -hmm. point to end on. So thank you, uh, Tim. And thank you, Jesse, for mm -hmm. coming on the show. We really appreciate this. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thanks, mm -hmm. Don. Thanks, and Rob. Thank you so much. Yep. yep. And if any of you are in the um, Somerville area or the Boston area, please go and check out Hub Comics. Uh, they're awesome people and uh, have some great books that you would love to read. If you, uh, if you listeners uh, do come to the store, tell us that you heard uh, this this interview because then we would then we would know that that we made a connection with you before and we'd love to meet you in person awesome so thanks again guys and to our listeners good night god bless talk to you later thanks for listening to the show if you'd like to hear more or join the conversation come visit us at obeythedna.com you can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!